This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined by uh, my colleague, David Hughes. How are you doing, mate? I'm fine, thanks, mate. Hold, uh, up, hold up, hold up. How was your birthday last week, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was decent. That's I was good. in... Uh, in fact, we'll get to that, mm-hmm. because that's relevant in this podcast. It is. Um, but yeah, 42 years old now. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, 26 of 10. Mm-hmm. Getting on now. Peak no, years, yeah. in fact. Peak years. Depends who's listening, but I think a few would argue differently. Younger than me, anyway. Yeah, just. Um, anyway, we will <laughs> watch the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're going to tackle Wolves. Uh, we're going to tackle West Ham. And obviously, we're going to look ahead to Southampton. Um, should we talk about the stipulation now? Regarding yeah, go the, on. Uh, well, obviously, with it being my birthday, I, I had a little trip to Switzerland. So, I was actually in the air when... Liverpool played West Ham. Um, the first match this season that I've missed, hopefully the last. Uh, but I had no way of catching the game. Dave was also. Do you wanna? Yeah, I was. Um, I had a tactics piece to write on the Manchester derby, so I uh, I was forced to watch that one instead. Um, so it meant I equally didn't see any bit of the uh, the West Ham game last night. So we have the we have access to the footage. And we could have watched the game back, sat for an hour and a half and watched it. But we thought we could use it as an interesting little thing for the podcast. So we've seen the goals and that is it. And we're going to analyse the match based purely on the numbers. Just to offer a bit of insight to listeners as to how much you can actually gauge if you use the right stats and if you interpret numbers in a certain way. Um, And hopefully we paint an accurate picture of how the match actually went. Um, Reiterate, hopefully, there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> could be a car crash, but uh, we'll see how it goes anyway. Well, the good thing is, at the time recording, we won't know, will we? It'll just be everybody uh, tweeting us or leaving comments saying that uh, we didn't have a clue what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. But it's fun anyway. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, just trying to make the best of a bad situation, I think. Mm. But I think it could be interesting for people, you know, to see how, uh, how it works. Yeah, defo, yeah. Um, it's what we have to do with a lot of other teams, isn't it? Mm. Teams lower down the league that we uh, can't see every week. Yeah. Uh, first of all, anyway, the Wolves. Uh, I think it's relatively safe to say probably the toughest match of the season so far, do you think? Mm. Yeah. Uh, or certainly close to it. Certain other ones pop up. Sheffield United away. Manchester United away was, wasn't easy. Chelsea away was tough. But, you know, Wolves were certainly certainly right there and it was similar to the, to the Anfield match, really. Yeah, it was... Um it was probably one of the most difficult in a long time, you can say at least, isn't it? Um, it's to be expected though, isn't it? I was just about to say that, yeah. You know, we said it'd be tough and it was tough because Wolves is Wolves is just a really difficult place to go. I know they played fairly well at Anfield, but there's not many grounds now in the Premier League where it, it goes along with the cliche of being, you know, a tough place to go, especially for a side like Liverpool. You know, there isn't really many places Liverpool go and aren't heavy favourites and... Um, will dominate the game and come away with an easy win but Molyneux is is one of those places the Wolves have done really well just to make it a, a really difficult stadium to, to play at Yeah, I mean I said last week that I, I think these are very clearly two teams that definitely benefit from the whole 
you know, long term stability thing. Both mm. both managers have been in charge now for a number of years. Um a solid core of a squad that gets, you know, added to slightly every now and then, but there's just a clear core there and very stable to the extent that this season I think they've clearly started working on set pieces and things like that. Little extra bits that you can that like say for example a new coach that's just took charge probably won't get around to up until 18 months into his job but if, in terms of adding very subtle edges I don't mean organising the team from a corner kick I mean like adding little match winning details into things like the bonuses you can do when the foundations are in place yeah so you don't know you don't have to focus on them as much and as you said you can start looking at some of those uh, extra gains across across the pitch yeah definitely and I think both teams as a result of that long term stability both clubs, I think, have got very clear cultures in, in place. Both group, both groups, very determined and things like that. They don't take, you don't not simply rolled over and they don't take defeats easily. Mm. Usually respond with a big win. Very rarely go for extended patches of bad form. It's usually maybe a bad, one bad result and then the next result will be back on track sort of thing. Usually with both clubs, so it was a c- competitive match. And if you look at the expected goals, I think that captures that the expected goals. I mean, more than anything, suggests that it should have definitely been a draw because either side, 1.4 expected goals. Um, so you're looking at maybe a one-all, maybe a two-all there. Liverpool obviously managed to get the 2-1 win. Um, 13 shots for Liverpool on the day, 10 for Wolves, 6 on Tiger for Liverpool, 3 for Wolves. I mean, I say it's a tough game, but it was a tough game. I say it was a difficult match in that, but Liverpool still are... Slightly out on top there, would you say, in terms of the stats? Yeah, I think um, it's tough with context, isn't it? So, obviously, Liverpool have been commanding and dominant for the whole season, really. Um, and then they've obviously gone into this game, played this game, and it's been very, very even, which is something that you know Liverpool fans listening and watching won't be used to. Um, and it just kind of sums up, as I said, how well they perform to be able to... I don't know if the right term would be to go toe-to-toe with Liverpool, but I said they made them work extremely hard for it and it, it did feel like a huge win um, because that, that game could have went either way. You know, I think those fine margins, Liverpool having a great defence, a great keeper uh, and then elite forwards has just tipped the scales in their favour uh, at the end of the match. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the expected goals has finished level but Liverpool had three more shots... That suggests that Wolves had the better chances. Mm. Uh, and if you look at the shot map, I've just had a little glance of it there. I think Wolves have maybe four chances there that could very realistically find the net. Mm. Um, In and around the six-yard box. Yeah. Whereas Liverpool seems to have obviously more shots, but chances that are a bit more, you'd label it as a half chance maybe. Um, yeah. Depends, I suppose, what you'd prefer. I mean, there's different takes on what you prefer there. I think I would personally side with the Wolves shot map. But, mm. you know, that, that that's the kind of match that's usually in the balance. Um, but, we, you know, we mentioned there about slight marginal gains. Obviously, Liverpool's opening goal stem from a set piece. Mm. Uh, unlikely scorer, though, Jordan Henderson. Yeah. What I will say is I have noticed, though, he, he used to be quite defensive from the corner kicks, didn't he? And over the last few weeks, he does seem to be getting in the box a lot more. Um which is obviously a, a, a tactical trait. I don't know. Um, I don't know what game he started doing it, but if I do remember early on the season, he did. He doesn't. He tended to kind of hover in around the edge of the eighteen-yard box, but now he is making these runs. Um, 
But, you know, we spoke a lot, didn't we, about set pieces last week? Um, yeah. And we, obviously I talked through the uh, the raried corner routines Liverpool had against United. They've been doing that all season. And again, OK, it was a different type of corner, but it's, it's led to the opening goal. Yeah, I mean, um, let's have a look at this now. I was just trying to get the, the, the routine up because I'm not sure if you saw the back, but yeah, I yeah. think it's quite clear what, what Liverpool actually do to mm. uh, to score the goal. Mm. Um, it seems as though Wolves have three players, I'd say man-marking the likes of, you know, Van Dijk and serious aerial threats. Yeah. And Jordan Henderson was with that group of three Liverpool players, but without a man on his, on his shoulder. Jan mm. um, Moutinho was in and around the penalty spot. And it looked as though, I'm not sure if he was marking the space or if he was tasked with actually blocking someone's run. But once everyone starts to move, he, he has no idea where Henderson is. Um, and Henderson gets a complete free run at the head, at the at the ball, and finds the, finds the corner of the net. So when you look at it, it, look, it looked so simple and it looked really, really easy. If, if, Wolves, if Wolves defend set pieces like that consistently... It's quite surprising that they don't concede more, considering all you have to do is outnumber the three man markers that they pick. Mm. And you've got a free head if you, if you meet time you runs. Well, that's, I think you've just, you've just hit nail on the head at the end there. It's, it's, it's just all about time and the run correct, though, because obviously um, the idea of them marking the spaces, they're meant to win the header in that area. So the, the run has to be good, and Henderson's run was good. But again, I think it's a lot of it's Van Dyke, you know. Even if he's not the immediate aerial threat, he um, he attracts so much attention from defenders in the box that it does it does seem to open up spaces or just you know a split focus of the defender goes on him rather than maybe any other threats and I think he is just one of the biggest reasons Liverpool is so good. Yeah, I mean I I've said before that I think we we, we are inclined occasionally because Van Dijk comes across as such an aerial threat. I think we are inclined to use him almost as a um, an obstacle mm. or a, a diversion almost. Mm. Uh, I think he did actually score in the week before the the Wolves fixture. Who did we face? United. Manchester United. Oh yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. And I think he did score a header from yeah, the corner. He did, yeah. Um obviously Wolves go into that catering for him. And but that's the perks of having a physical side, I suppose, because Jordan Anderson's good in the air. Fabinho when he plays is good in the air, Marnie's good in the air. Um, so you've got plenty of players like this that are aerial threats from mm-hmm. set pieces. Yeah. Um, but Liverpool conceded mm-hmm. for the first time in over 11 hours of uh, Premier League football. <laughs> it's a joke, that. It is crazy, isn't it? We did actually say that it'd be pretty crazy if they went another two games without a clean sheet. And to yeah. be fair, they only conceded one over the two, but... Uh, we did predict that it would go, didn't we? But we, we, I don't know why, looking back, to be honest, but I thought it would go at West Ham. And I thought Wolves mm. would be the clean sheet. Mm. I don't know why I, I thought that, you know, I'm thinking about it. On that, but yeah, that's what that, maybe it's hard to say, but that doesn't seem to make much uh, sense now. No. Um, but yet they did concede anyway, and it was it was a real kind of typical Wolves Wolves attack that they conceded from. Yeah, I thought it was a great goal, basically. Yeah, it was. It was really epitomised what they're good at, really. Um, I can't exactly remember how they gained the ball. But I, I do recall saying last week that, you know, they kind of keep the shape, cut off passing lanes, wait for you to make a mistake by forcing it. And then once you force it, 
they get the ball and quickly spring on you. So mm. probably worth checking to see if Liverpool try to force a pass or something like that. But obviously, you know, Wolves really, really good in transition. And I think uh, him and his laser off to Traore. Traore darts forward towards, in the direction of the byline. Um, and returns the favour back to him and his, him and his head's home. I thought the header was great, by the way. Yeah. Well, we remember we, we we did a whole segment on Jimenez in the fi- the first meeting of the season, and he didn't he didn't play. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And as well. Yeah, I know they both didn't did they, but um, it is. So the ball's just played up long, actually. But a lot of Liverpool's attackers are still deep in the Wolves' half. Within about three p- passes, they work it into Liverpool's half, and then Jimenez with some good skill, and then as you said. How to throw it and then just a perfect run, perfect ball, and good finish as well. You know what we're finding is, aren't we, that a lot of uh, a lot of opposition attackers uh, panicking in front of goal when they face Liverpool. But uh, that no, was an absolutely really brilliant header. finish. Yeah, brilliant mm. finish. He meets it with power, and he actually directed as well into the corner. Yeah. You're not really saving that. No, no uh, nothing he could have done. Nothing Allison could have done. To be fair. Just a quick word on the air trial, right? oh, I love him. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. mad. I, I feel like now people are starting to take him serious. I feel like at first, it, you know, in the initial few months of the season, because this is obviously being his breakout season, because, you know, if anyone kept an eye on his career, he wasn't playing a lot last season. Um, but this year, people started to take him really serious, and rightfully so, because he's he's an absolute nightmare to play against. He's he is, so he, unique. He is terrifying to face, yeah. I'll be honest. He's, uh, you know, he just... What I found, and he, he does suit Wolves' system perfectly, knowing the way that they soak up the pressure and then look to explode on the counter. Mm. You know, it, it, he creates part of the chaos on that. You know, he, he just loves kind of driving and isolating defenders, and not not many defenders can take the ball off him when, when he is dribbling. Um, he's just. It's an understatement. Yeah, he's a perfect <laughs> Wolves player. Yeah, he is. He's perfect. He's, all, he's odd, though, isn't he? He's complete peculiar type of player because most players like that who are so good at dribbling and who you just simply cannot stop the players usually just body them into the floor mm-hmm, yeah. but if you do that to Traore you will bounce off them yeah I was just about to say it's not, dribblers are normally quite slim players aren't they maybe small but he is he's he's huge like yeah. he's, got, he's got and he's got pace as well pace and power yeah the, the definition of pace and power I think that's quite a overused cliche and I think mm. a lot of the time it just doesn't apply but he epitomises it really doesn't he? he's, he's lightning quick and he's, he's one of the strongest well-built players in the, in the league comfortably mm. if not the most well-built player in the league well um, obviously I've wrote a piece on it this week so people might have read it so I'll maybe throw it to you if anyone's listening now and they're talking about Liverpool potentially signing them or should they sign them have you any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I wouldn't be interested I wouldn't be interested in taking him to Liverpool. Why? I mean, by the way, that's the conclusion I come come with, and I'll explain. But uh, I think he's a good player in that. But I, I still think his his actual output has to keep improving, keep going the way it's going. To, to be fair to him, but mm. um, I think Liverpool's wide attackers have to be real goal, really goal focused, mm. really like you know, cutting inside central. Um, penalty box players mm. who are output merchants really mm. um, and Sayori's not yet that o- okay he's fast and he's you know powerful and all that stuff and he's clearly a threat but 
he's not really, he's more inclined to drive towards the corner flag and cross it, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, I, I, he'd be better as a wing back for Liverpool as yeah. a fullback. Yeah, you know that is a good shout. Um, yeah, he's obviously right footed but plays on the right, which is quite rare these days, isn't it? And not it's not really what Liverpool's wide forwards do. Um, but yeah, I feel like you know if you think about how Liverpool play, they, they tend to be quite controlling. Teams sit back against them. There's not a lot of space to manoeuvre. At Wolves, as I said, he, he they kind of spring onto a counter. He it's a bit chaotic, and he gets to almost use that to his advantage in these transitions. And I think that adds to his his skill set in terms of dribbling ability. Yeah, um, I mean, put it this way: I, I don't think it's a surprise that his best games this season have came against City twice. Hmm. Spurs, I think, and Liverpool. Yeah, you know, top sides that are quite open and expansive. Yeah, where you've got space to, to dart into. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I and still I, think he could he, he could have a really high ceiling, but you need to. He, he's a play that you need to tactically uh, adapt to, don't you? As a side. Yeah, and obviously, if, if the whole the dynamic of Firmino in the middle of the pitch is going to stay, obviously Firmino is inclined to drop away from the box. Mm. The, the withdrawn movements into midfield and that only works because the two wide men either side of them are going to penetrate the box going the opposite way yeah with trial right you lose that dynamic a little bit um, same, same with Rigi to an extent I think Liverpool's wide forwards have to be absolute output players proper you know end product type of players mm, yeah they have to bring the goal threat of like centre forwards really don't they yeah don't they have to be Capable of scoring twenty a season, both of them. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you know, are you, are you, I mean, if you if you if you were to say to me, do you want Traore on your bench? Yeah. For the rest of the season, I'd snap your hand off yeah, because you if you take a lead against any team and you're sitting on that lead, just put Traore on the halfway line. Just and yeah, just yeah, clear it up to him and then watch him do his work. Yeah, he did exactly that at the Etihad early in the season, and he scored the, the second goal by doing it. Just beat Fernandinho in a race. I think, uh, as I say, I think he does have it. Even though he's well suited for Wolves, I think he could one day have a high ceiling, given that he's only twenty-three. But um, yeah, I think whoever he went to, it'd, it'd have to be the right fit tactically. Yeah, I do think he's got quite a high ceiling. I can see him becoming maybe a bit of a Zaha in mm. terms of whenever you face Wolves and whenever you face Palace, you're terrified of that one yeah. player and what he's capable of doing, sort of thing on his own. These these are players that are capable of operating without players around them. Without support, they yeah. can just operate completely on their own. Saint Maximum's a similar player. Mm. They don't need any support at all. They can get out of mad situations on their own, and yeah, they're yeah. just dangerous, scary players to play against. Uh, probably Andy Robertson's worst game in a while as well, and I don't, I don't think that's a coincidence to be honest. No, no, you've uh, sometimes you've got to give credit to the uh, to the opposition, and he's definitely he's de- definitely getting on this occasion. Try all right. Yeah, just a quick word on Firmino as well, because Firmino obviously scored the winning goal. Uh, we spoke much earlier in the season about him taking shots, because at, at one point he was taking over four shots a game. Uh, earlier, in, towards the midpoint of the season, we, we mentioned that he'd regressed a little bit to what we could what we would consider as normal. Mm. But he's, he's shot up a little bit again, so currently he's shooting over three times per 90. Um, anyone that's listened to the show for a long time will know that, you know, generally players and strikers that shoot more than three times a, a match tend to score a, a good amount and they're the types of players you kind of want to supposed to be putting the ball in the net for you sort of mm-hmm. thing. 
Firmino's doing that now. He's never previously done that before. Each season at Liverpool in the Premier League, he's averaged maybe around 2.2, 2.4 shots per 90 shots. I think he's over three at the minute, so it'll be interesting to see if that continues up until the end of the season. Because, I don't know, his, his role isn't entirely focused around ending the move, is it? It's no. about the pass before the end of the move, I suppose. Yeah, sometimes he has to be quite... Um selfless doesn't he in terms of his play um, hence why I think he gets the brunt of the criticism from Klopp he gets uh, criticism praise yeah he gets more praise generally criticism but yeah, yeah he, gets, he gets more praise generally than Mane and Salah even though he puts the ball on the back of the net less but he's the one that he's the one that's always missed isn't he let's be honest when um, in, just in terms of keeping the pool ticking over in the final third um, here's it, a strange one for you do you think this sounds crazy to say, and I've j- it's just come to me now, so I could be way off. But do you think sometimes he's uh, it can be a, um, a confidence thing for him in terms of scoring goals? I don't know. He doesn't come across as that type to me personally. Um, I don't disagree, but then I just he just seems to score and then maybe pop up with another one or two in a run, and then. Um, and he might not score for a while, he'll still be contributing, but just in front of goal. Mm. I wonder if he goes a lot more selfless when he's uh, when yeah. he's not on, on he's not scoring goals. Put it this way though, I do know that a couple of weeks ago, I think he went a couple of he went a few games without scoring. And to the extent that he had a word with Klopp behind oh, the, really? behind yeah. the scenes and actually, you know, expressed his concerns almost to Klopp and Klopp was just like, Don't worry about it, do keep doing your thing, it's nothing at all to worry about. And I think maybe even in the next match, actually, he scored. And he celebrates by running over to Klopp and, you know, diving on him and all mm. that stuff. Um, so, so, I mean, maybe he is one of them, I don't know. Theory then, couldn't it? Yeah, maybe he is one of them players, I don't know. But, I mean, he, he's renowned for never, ever speaking in the mixed zone and things like that. He doesn't give interviews ever. Yeah, and no. I couldn't even tell you what his voice sounds like, to be honest. I don't think I've ever heard, of, heard him doing interviews. No, he's not one of them. He's uh, There's a quote from, from Milnick, I think it was in... 442 magazine something like that and Milner picked his his, his best 11 or something like that like his, his, what, did I, what his 11 would be or something like that it was and Firmino was in it and his description for Firmino was uh, the lowest maintenance player I've ever played with he will just he doesn't need nothing and he will just go out every week on the pitch and just work as hard as anything mm. I think that's a massive massive compliment mm, is, yeah. obviously from Milner as well he's been around with. yeah yeah Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. We'll move on anyway to the interesting one. Oh, yeah. See how this goes, eh? So, West Ham, mm. as I said, we didn't catch any of the game, uh, only seeing the goals, and we have access to all the numbers. So, hopefully, we, we get this one right. But it looks like a difficult one to get wrong, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it, it, in terms of doing this, um, it's probably one of the nicer games we could have got, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting because I was talking to Josh on the way down today about a book that we read, which is really good, called Football Hackers, that you should definitely read if you're there, if you're into the kind of content that we produce. And, um, it was Ian Graham, wasn't it, you, you said? Ian Graham, uh, yeah. Um, there's a part in it where Ian Gra- Graham's talking about... For those that don't know, he's Liverpool's... Director of research. Yeah, that's his official title. And was he running through a, um, a, a quite a few fixtures at Dortmund's Klopp's Dortmund, or was he just running through one game? I can't. I can't no, remember. he ran through the 
the entire season. Mm. The one that Klopp was supposedly had a nightmare season at Dortmund. Um, for anyone who didn't know, he was in the relegation zone, where they have to, have to yeah, three after or four Christmas, months. I think, yeah. But, but uh, he spoke about one though. Yeah, and um, he basically he was talking about the game um, to Klopp, and he was he was saying how Liverpool, uh, how Dortmund's. Um, obviously the the better side and Klopp responded saying you know, how you watch the game we, we battered them that day um, but Ian Graham said no I didn't watch the game this was just purely on um, the data he had available wasn't it so this is hopefully <laughs> what we're going to try and do um, to a lesser extent of course on the West Ham game last night yeah so for me I I mean I haven't looked at Dave's analysis by the way no. we'll say that you haven't looked at mine either but I personally have Liverpool as being completely dominant. Yeah. Um, the expected goals on the day says Liverpool 2.5 and West Ham 0.8. Uh, so that's basically, you know, a 2-0, 2-1, 3-1 sort of fixture, mm. isn't it, really? Even, even even though there's a penalty in there, it's still, even if you took that away, which I don't know we always think is fair to do anyway, but even if you did, it's still a... What one point eight roughly to yeah. to point eight, so it's still a at worst maybe two one. Yeah, obviously Liverpool seventy one percent possession as well, mm. and Liverpool taking thirteen shots to seven. Um, those numbers alone, without even going any further at the minute, suggest to me that that's a that's a performance that Liverpool have been in control of, and there's not much there that's been left to chance. For yeah, me. yeah, I agree. Um, just on the possession points, um, it looked like Liverpool looked after the ball well. Uh, I'm guessing West Ham were pretty much penned into their own half for large parts of the game. Um, their PPDA averaged out of 41.14. I, I, I noticed that, yeah. Yeah, which is, it make, it says to me, they most likely sat in the low block. And well, that was reaffirmed by the positions, average position map as well. Yeah, well, I had a, I had a little bit of a deeper look into that one because... A PPDA of forty one point four. That means West Ham are allowing forty one passes before making a defensive action. Mm. That's the most passive side that Liverpool have faced all season. Mm. No side have posted a number that deep. Um, so obviously, it just tells me that Moyes and his team were just firmly keep your shape and hope, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. There was a uh, there was something like um, sixteen occasions where Liverpool had possession uninterrupted for longer than 45 seconds and West Ham had zero. Um, yeah, so that just seems to me like just complete dominance. Um, in terms of chances, I just want to flag this because I think it'd be interesting because people who are listening probably watch this, but we haven't. Mm. Um, I I'd, Just from looking at the XG timing charts, to me it looked like Liverpool struggled to create anything clear cut in the, in the first half an hour or so until the penalty. Um, but there's a chance for Andy Robertson uh, somewhere. Yeah, it, it's in. It's near the six-yard box, and I, I haven't got the exact timing of it. Um, I don't know if you can find it. Yeah, I'll tell you. I don't know. Yeah, um, Andy Robertson. I've got the, I've got a feeling that might be corner there. Yeah, oh yeah, twenty-third minute. Yeah. What well, what did he give on that XG score? So understats have give that as an XG of 0.32. I need to use a different provider, me. <laughs> I, the one I used that is a uh, 0.12. But I'm just curious to see if people would have been watching that going, wow, that was a sitter. Yeah, sitter. Yeah, yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, in reality, you know, 
the the XG numbers of the Lars are a little bit different. Um, says it was in the sitter. Uh, so I just thought that that was a little interesting thing to flag. And I might try now after we've done this pod, I'm going to watch it back and see what I think of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it looked to me as though West Ham's very West Ham's first real opportunity didn't come until after an hour. Mm. It looked as though after after an hour of football, then they had. Um, let's have a look at it. Well, not, let's have a look at the timeline. It looks like they had a chance that's quite valuable. Like, I mean, it looks as though it's a Ogbonna shot. Yeah. Um, Headshots from a set piece. That's quite... That Apparently that shot, according to understat at least, is scored once in every two attempts. So uh, it's inside the six-yard box and stuff, so... Yeah, it's interesting to see what that looks like once we actually watch the clips. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them back. I've got that just very little from West Ham, but you see more of a threat in the second half. Obana obviously had a good good effort, but it looks like Lanzini and Rice probably had a, couple, a, a decent effort each as well. Um, they were fairly decent XG scores. What's Understack got them at? They'll be in the second half. Were they after the Almach? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, it, it looks like there's two shots basically after the the big og bond chance yeah. and both shots are similar in terms of value both being valued at around maybe 0.1 which yeah. isn't great I mean it's scored once in every 10 attempts so mm. not really particularly threatening again I'm just wondering though if people are going to be like oh that was a big that was a big chance to give the yeah. reality probably isn't yeah but for, for me anyway it looks as though West Ham have had one chance throughout the whole match that I want to say chance I mean shot one shot throughout the whole match that mm could realistically result in the goal and that's the Ogbonna chance but yeah. beyond that it looks like Liverpool are relatively safe and according to Liverpool's shot map um, I mean we could have it was just chance after chance I suppose beyond the maybe the Andy Robertson chance on the 23rd minute beyond that the floodgate seems to open a little bit I suppose yeah yeah maybe goal onwards would you say yeah possibly yeah um, one other little thing that I noticed was that it was Liverpool's um the lowest long ball percentage for Liverpool all season, with the exception of Newcastle at Anfield. So, the percentage of Liverpool's passes, um, very low percentage this time around, was long balls. So, I don't know, I just think that stems from just analysing the opposing team as aerially strong. Mm. Obviously, Issa Diop, I know, was quite good in the air. Mm. Um, and maybe we just, I, I know Newcastle are quite good in the air as well. Mm. So maybe it was just they're just two opponents that Liverpool have identified as it's not worth hitting long. It's mm. worth keeping the ball on the floor or something like that. Yeah, maybe. I uh, I've got a couple of things I just want to touch on. But I don't know if we plan on moving on, but yeah, no, no, go on. I um, it seemed to me like Liverpool enjoyed most success building down the right, which was West Ham's left. Yeah, I picked up on that. Yeah, yeah, they got twenty-seven of the forty-nine attacks going down there, and I was I was trying to read between the lines, and obviously you got Salah and Trent down there. But um, they've got that, is it Arthur Musaku? Masuaku. Masuaku. They've got him in there, who's only played just over 800 minutes of league action. And Lanzini as well. Now, Lanzini. Yeah, well, I was just supposed <laughs> to say, Lanzini gets pulled off after 60 odd minutes. And I just wonder whether Liverpool attack that side because Lanzini doesn't do enough defensive work. And obviously, um, Masaku uh, hasn't played a lot of football this season. Like that's being identified as weak link, and my guess is they were having success down there, and Lanzini wasn't doing enough, and that's why he was taken off. 
Yeah, um, plus, plus Liverpool's midfield on that side was Oxley Chamberlain. Mm. And if you look at the opposite side, obviously Sadio Mane was missing. So yeah. you've got Origi, Wijnaldum, mm. Robertson. It's obviously a lot less uh, attacking, if you like, than Liverpool's right side on the day. So, yeah, that was something I picked up on as well. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, yeah, maybe West Ham did a little bit of homework in Liverpool's corners. Seven corners, but none led to a shot. Didn't pick up on that one. Mm. That's an insistent one, yeah. And uh, obviously the counter... But that, oh, that could stem from the, what we've just said about them being good in the air. Yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. just an early, very strong team or something like that. Um, six counter attacks for Liverpool. Obviously, they scored from one. We were allowed to look at the goal, weren't we? The two goals. Yeah, well, we're going to have to speak about that, aren't we? Because Liverpool, yeah. again, scored from defending a corner kick. Mm. Um, this is one of the only two clips that we watched on the day. Obviously, the other one was the, the penalty. Mm. Um, this doesn't tell us much, really. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Didn't even get to see the foul, just the uh, just actual penalty itself. But yeah, I think it's interesting because I, I, I had a little look back at the the spacing, um, and you know how Liverpool marked West Ham's West Ham's corner, and it, it looks as though every every single player is in the in the, what you would deem as a defensive position. Mohamed Salah's on the edge of the box defending the the D, mm. and. The closest player to him is Oxley Chamberlain. I think it's interesting that they're probably Liverpool's two quickest players. Um, and I'd be inclined to think that if Mane was playing, Mane would be where Chamberlain was. Mm. And I think Liverpool just do it as they defend with every player uh, in the hope that the opposing team see that no no players are waiting on the halfway down. So the all presses units mm. and every single player basically are positioned within Liverpool's final third. And then once the ball gets loose, Salah and Chamberlain are just are just quicker than the likes of West Ham's defenders who are trying to sack back and things like that. And I, yeah. I think it transpires from there, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Totally. Um, oh, one more thing as well. I noticed Haller made more aerial duels than the defenders, which makes you think that West Ham were getting forced to go go long quite a bit and try and hope that he'd win some battles in the air. Um, yeah, one thing I will say, I'm not actually, I did see a stat on Twitter. I haven't double-checked this one, but... He has been quite an early dominant striker this season. Mm. And I think against Van Dijk, I think they had nine duels. I think he won two. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, like that because they had a lot of Yeah, so obviously he's, uh, <laughs> he struggled against yeah. the best in the league. No! Yeah. <laughs> I believe someone struggled against Van Dijk. Uh, yeah, but um, 19 points clear. Anyway, mm. you know, ho- hope- hopefully we was right about those sorts of things. So, you know, yeah. g- g- give us a shout see what see what you what you made of that feedback's uh, welcome on that one definitely yeah because it'll be interesting to see if we would rise if we would way off you know whatever um but it's a, it's the sort of thing that we won't ever really get a chance to do this time around things just worked out that way mm. uh so you know let us what let us know what you think of that nice dominant win by according to the numbers yeah 19 teams every 19 every team sorry in the premier league now has been beaten by liverpool this season mm. uh which i think i might be saying I think I might say it hasn't been done before. It was a record for Liverpool. I don't know if it's been okay. done before, but I'd be surprised if it has been done before. Yeah, so I can't remember. You see all these stats, don't you? Mm-hmm. All kinds. Yeah. Um, we'll move on anyway. We'll look ahead to Southampton. Mm. Uh, I think I'm expecting quite a tricky one. I rate these this team. I think they're quite good. Yeah. The ninth in the table at the minute. Um, obviously started the season quite I badly. That, I reckon that'll catch a few people out, you know, uh, than that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we look at it every day, but, 
we were maybe just drifting and I was looking at the table and yeah, ninth, yeah. Yeah, but they started the season quite badly. Mm. Obviously they got beat 9-0 and it was ridiculous calls for Haas and Hull to get sacked. Um, but I, I for, a, for a while I thought to myself, this team's better than this, this team are unlucky. Mm. Uh, and they, they gradually seem to have turned it round to the extent that even not just the results but the performances beneath the surface are quite good as well. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I think that 9-0 probably had a lot to do with that kind of uh, slump they had midway through because, well... It's confidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's just embarrassing, isn't it? Like it's, it, we, But we talked about that game on another pause. I think it was still an analysing Anfield one, but it might have been when Liverpool was to play Leicester. Oh, I can't quite well, remember. And we said that game, just everything went for them, didn't it? Well, you've only got to look at how Leicester performed after that match because mm. they went on a, a winning streak I think dominating every team for yeah. weeks and weeks whereas Southampton struggled so th- them, th- they can have real impacts on the confidence of players the belief of those players in the manager's methods and whether the manager's impo- in integrating stuff that actually works and sort, sort of thing so it's a psychological game yeah I think gradually over time they seem to have got over it and they're now one of the Top ten best best coaches, best well coached teams in the league at the minute mm. for me. Yeah. Um, for the past seven weeks, I've got them down as doing you know very very well. Uh, dominant expected goals wins over Palace, Spurs, Leicester, and Villa. All deserve wins. Uh, I'm not sure if they won every one of them, but certainly according to the expected goals, they deserve to. Mm. I did notice actually that they're one of the few sides that are currently aligned with the expected points. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so the ninth in the table and also ninth on expected points, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, kind of reiterates what you said, that the the performances are going with the results. Yeah. Uh, inside those seven weeks, there was also a draw against Chelsea, and according to expected goals, that was a fair draw. And the only the only game where they had to have lost in terms of the performance was Wolves. Wolves are the only team that's, that have really well beaten them. And they had, they had to come back and win 3-2 in that match. Mm. Um, sixth in the table overall for expected goals and 11th in the table overall for expected goals against so I think you're facing maybe I mean if you if you mix those two together you're facing maybe the 8th and 9th best team in the league or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. yeah certainly a top 10 side um, I think I think generally the, the, they're just better suited to facing bigger teams aren't they yeah, well because they, of the style of playing. Yeah, they're, they're happy to forego possession, aren't they? And kind of look to hit sides on the counter, and um, yeah, just uh, better to face those kind of sides that favour trying to control the ball. But um, you know what? I like them. I think they're a good little side. I'm glad that they've kind of got over that little hump midway through the season. Do you remind me a little bit of a, a mini Liverpool? To be honest, I oh, do. Yeah, just because That's not why I would. Do you, I don't mean Liverpool now. Oh, okay, I mean yeah. Liverpool in early days under Klopp. Oh yeah, because we were very much a transition team. Any team that let us play in transition and on the break, we could really cause damage to. Mm, yeah, and we generally did better against the likes of Man City and and teams like that. Um, but once the emphasis was placed on us, we struggled a little bit. And I think Southampton are benefiting from the whole, you know, whenever they give them counter pressing opportunities turning those into scoring chances yeah um, just by forcing mistakes through clever little pressing and things like that and I think the more the closer they get to a squad that's suited to Hull, 
because uh, I don't think the squad's that great. No, it isn't. No. I think it needs a bit of work. Although they've made some half decent signings, didn't he bring in? Was it Walker Peters or someone? Yeah, Walker Peters on yeah, loan. I think, I think that's think. a good signing, you know. I think Cedric's gone. Yeah, I uh, I think that's a good little signing for them. Yeah, uh, obviously they got Shay Adams in the summer. They got oh, the lad from Belgium. Can't think of his name. He scored a few goals. Gennapo. Musa Gennapo. Yeah. Uh, he scored a few goals. So I'm just trying to see if, if he's finally scored Shay Adams, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he has. I think he, he got hasn't. an assist the other week, no, though. I can see Guy in the corner there shaking his, uh, shaking his head. <laughs> he hasn't. Um, yeah, because he was a strange one. When he was at Birmingham, it, it, he was just banging him in, but it just always felt like, is he going to be able to make the step up? Yeah. And he was linked with a few clubs, and obviously Southampton were the ones that went for them. But Yeah, obviously, though, with this being Liverpool podcast... You know we can't we can't not talk about Danny Ings. Mm. What what's he doing? Scoring <laughs> goals, mate. He is scoring yeah. goals, and it's not that much of a surprise to me. You know, mm-hmm. he's always been that player. He's always he's always got into good good locations. That poaching instinct, um, getting good shots away in good areas. It was just a case of um, just keeping fit, really. Yeah. And yeah. when when we sold him, when we got the price for him, I must be honest, I was happy with it. I was glad to see him go. Purely because he came across to me as the type that you will never get an extended one out of because of his, cause of his fitness. No, I don't think it was his quality that you're happy to get rid of, was it? It was just, I agree, he just seemed like the type of player who was never going to be fit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't know if he, I don't know if he's still over that now. You know, it's he's had a really good season, but you kind of hoping he can do it for longer than just one season. Um, I mean, maybe it was just a case of him not being able to handle Klopp's Klopp's physical demands, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because I'm not sure if he had injury issues at Burnley before Liverpool. He hasn't had them really since Southampton. Certainly not at Liverpool level, at least. I've said a few times, because I've said I've also played with Liverpool now, <laughs> but I don't know if I'm going to open that kind of worms, but I think sometimes it just doesn't work at a club. You just can't get fit, you can't get run on the side, and then you go somewhere else and, and succeed. I think some players just... I mean, I spoke last week... We spoke about Harvey Elliott, didn't we? Mm. And my point was that I've got no doubts that he'll make it regarding his talent. Mm. It's just the physical capacity that is demanded of you at such a high level, mm. whether he matures into that player, because he's obviously 16, 17, so you've got no idea if he's going to make that. Danny Ings, maybe he had similar issues, maybe he just couldn't cope with the day-to-day intensity to the extent that he'd, he'd persistently get slight niggles to the extent that he couldn't play what I will say is though I uh, I think he's always destined to be a bigger fish in the small ponds Ings yeah for me I, I, I think he'll always play at a mid-ranking Premier League side and be very good yeah or is that harsh just getting his, no I'm, well, I'm getting his age up now he's 27 now oh, so there you go I thought he was 25 by the time by the time the summer window gets gets going he'll be 28 so I don't know maybe a few years ago a Premier League Top ten, top six club would would take a punt on him, but mm. I think generally Premier League clubs are getting a little bit smarter now. And after seeing him struggle at Liverpool with injuries, maybe Southampton will just reap the benefits of his finishing, you know, for the next couple of years. Because yeah. I'll be honest, I can't see, can't overly see him getting a move. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I, another little word on that, just to put into context, his his incl- his poaching instinct sort of thing. He's fifth in the league for XG per shot uh, excluding penalties and that's purely based on strikers um, which suggests that 
whenever he does get a shot away, it's in a good location. It's not really difficult to score. And it, do you know what he reminds me a little bit of Chicharito? Mm. A little bit, just in terms of he just knows where the ball's going to drop, mm. things like that. So he's obviously a threat that he's going to have, that we're going to have to cater for. We haven't actually faced Danny Ings yet. We faced Southampton since, but he was on loan at the time, I think. So he yeah. weren't um, he weren't actually available to play against us. I think the good thing is he's outside where he, he is just there to finish moves off, isn't he? There's not much more expected of him. I've just had a look here, and he. He averages just over 12 passes received per game, so he's not really heavily involved in the build-up play. He's just purely there to... Finish moves, yeah. Finish moves, but that means obviously he can take up good locations, can't he, on the pitch to do so? Yeah, so um, verdict? Uh, I'll be honest, I'm at the stage now where... I've just been reminded by our producer there that Danny Ings actually scored in the area fixture this season. I've completely missed that one. On Alisson error. <laughs> yeah, apologies. I don't uh, remember I completely forgot about that one, yeah. I, I, I want to get that up. Um, no, what was it tapping? Yeah, it, it was inside the six-yard box yeah. or something. I think it might have even been a mistake. No, that's what it was. It was an Alisson mistake. Yeah, it was, I, yeah. I can't remember. I forgot uh, about that. No, it was Adrian. Adrian was playing. Alisson was injured. Uh, a guy here, the absolute... Uh, it was Adrian. Mistake maker. Adrian giving the ball straight to Danny Ings. That was what it was, I remember it. He hadn't been inside long, had he? No, that was his big... And I think after that, he kept a little bit quiet, kept his head down. That nearly cost us a match, that though. Anyway, sorry. It was, a tough, it, it, it was tough when he played them at St Mary's last season, but obviously this game's at Anfield. Uh, all I was going to say was, I'm at the uh, I'm at the stage now with Liverpool where there's nobody I think they won't beat. I, I think they've, I think they've come through some big tests now, um, which wasn't the case early on the season, so... I fancy Liverpool. And I also think they're really driven as well. They're not taking the eye off. It feels like they're still just so fixated on getting the uh, the league wrapped up. So I'm going for uh, another comfortable 2-0. Um, a little bit of a tricky one for me because I I think we, we lose a big attacking dimension of our play when we without Manic. Uh, and Liverpool obviously played midweek. Southampton didn't. Um, so I'm actually going to go... 2-1 I think 2-0 or 2-1 I do think Liverpool will win but with Liverpool having a little bit less firepower than usual and having a midweek match Southampton having a full week to prep mm. they're a good team as we've shown I do think I don't think it'll be a complete rollover or anything like that so 2-1 or 2-0 for me um, but thanks for tuning in anyway we will be back next week mm. and I'm, to be honest I'm not sure exactly what we're going to tackle because it's the supposed winter break <laughs> We'll do a full show on Shrewsbury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So maybe a Q and A. We'll you know we'll see how we go yeah, with that one. Yeah, there's um, there's been a few questions have been asked through the week, and anyone's listening, sorry, we haven't put them in the agenda, but we we had quite a full one this week, so maybe that's for next week. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for joining us anyway, Dave. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Thanks. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.